Welcome to Vicious Talk with Benny P. Coming up, an exciting episode. I got my good guest, Connor Larson, back on the podcast. What's up, buddy? I'm just a good guest? What's with that, man? <laughs> my good friend. What's popping? <laughs> I thought What's I was a great guest. What's popping, my guy? <laughs> Keeping the, keep the intro popping, short. We got, a, we got a lot on the docket today, trying to you know flow, get, get through some of the formalities right off the bat. Connor, obviously, is a well, well-known guest yeah. of the podcast. We've been talking a lot of football. Um, predominantly with him on the podcast, but you know we got a lot of stuff to talk about today, including offseason football, because obviously you know that's that's Connor's specialty here on the pod. But um, we're we're here also to promote a little bit of what's been going on with all things analysis. Our website, our feature uh, website, the Vicious Talk is the the podcast for, and on, on all things analysis, we're, we're we got a growing YouTube page, and um, we're running a promotion right now. So Connor, tell us about the promotion for all things analysis, and, and you know let's get our listeners excited for it yeah so i think this might tie into one of the themes later in the show when we talk about sports cards and the uh, the growing market and to kind of capture a part of that trend into some of that excitement we're going to be giving away some sports cards live on uh on youtube on all things analysis we're going to be doing a box break and all you have to do to be entered is to subscribe to our different channels so on youtube facebook instagram or right on our website, if you create an account, you'll get an entry. You can get multiple entries, so you can get entered five, six different times. That means you can get five or six different teams. Uh, and we're going to do the 2020-2021 Panini Donruss Blaster Box. There's 88 cards in each box. We're doing two of them. Then you're going to break one down all the way in L.A. or Arizona. I don't know where you're going to be at the time. I think I'll be in uh, Arizona, but we'll see. Yeah. And I'll be coming to you guys live from uh, from the Boston area, and uh, we're going to do a little com- competition See, you can pull the better cards. I think I'm going to get the Lamello, which means that one of our fans is going to get a Lamello, hopefully. Um, we'll see. But yeah, that's the idea. And and when are the the winners being announced for that? Great question. So we're running the uh, the promotion right now, and we'll probably cut it off on Friday, May seventh, just so we have a day to aggregate, you know, everybody's names and make sure we capture everybody who should be part of this giveaway for subscribing. And then on Saturday, May eighth, on our YouTube channel, we're gonna go live and we're gonna break down uh, two boxes of cards and we're gonna give away all of them. And uh, just for people who tune in live, we're gonna do a little bit of trivia. Ben on on the show on vicious talk has been doing a great job bringing up some fun trivia questions for the guests so for our live audience that day we're going to have some other cards maybe some memorabilia for you guys so make sure you actually tune in live as well for sure yeah looking forward it sounds like it's going to be a really fun promotion i'm looking forward to being part of it with you um but the, the sports card craze has just been really booming and connor and i have you know Growing up, we we both participated in a lot of sports card collecting, and um, we are kind of excited to dabble, get our toes wet back into it. You know, it's it's, it's a fun hobby, something that you know, especially during the pandemic, a lot of people stuck at home in their quarantines and or you know just have a lot more free time or downtime. Sports cards is is a, a great you know what do you call it? externality of what came out of this pandemic because i think that the boom of the sports card industry can be attributed to some of that extra free time or hobby time that you know people or people hobbyists were able to get into and you know um it's crazy some of the stuff that we're seeing with with this industry it's like it's it's this whole there's a shortage of cards at times like 
people trying to stand in line Friday mornings at like 5 a.m. to get to Target or Walmart. It's like, who's going to Target or Walmart for that kind of stuff? It's crazy. It's And the stuff that's going on with, with the whole industry is really interesting. And, and, you know, Connor and I wanted to talk about some of that stuff too because um, – like we said, there's is a renewed popularity with this whole thing. It's crazy because yeah. when we were growing up, we used to go to the card shops, and I used to go with my dad, and you know, pick mm-hmm. out like a Ken Griffey Junior card for like five bucks, and it was probably right. now it's like you know, I wish I bought it for you can sell it for like a hundred. It's like the prices are are booming for that stuff. Right, like ten dollars, and you get like a jersey and, and a and a bat card, and nowadays yeah. they're going for ten times that amount on eBay. So it's pretty awesome. Yeah, and, and it's, it's not just sports cards; it's Pokemon too. <laughs> like those yeah, are selling know, out right? everywhere. That's, it's, it's the mem- memorabilia and collectibles game across the board. It's kind that's of something I'm not now. willing to to venture further back into. <laughs> Pokemon was, but when I was a kid, I, I was ha- I used to actually play Pokemon when I was a kid, or maybe just like collect the cards and watch the show. Um, but not, any, not that's not my that's not my cup of tea anymore. If you have the original 1999 base set, if you have some first editions in there, they're worth a few hundred bucks per card, some thousands. And it's the same thing with your old baseball and, you know, your old basketball collections. Just running through mine, I found a Shaq rookie card that was a limited edition. I had no idea I had it all these years. I was like, whoa, holy crow, you know, the graded, it's worth a couple thousand if you get a gem mint one, but a couple hundred otherwise, which is still pretty exciting. And I think that's also part of the fun about sports cards game. When you're breaking down a box and you're opening up a pack you get a little bit of a rush it's a little bit like gambling because you're hoping you pull that lottery ticket that you know that golden ticket out of that candy bar pack and you know maybe you get a a christian yelich signed (laughs) or a steph curry you know yeah yeah i was opening up connor was what was was uh hanging out with me or on a a zoom and i was opening up some cards the uh, tops heritage pack they're really popular at targets and stuff and so i was able to grab a box and i was opening some of them and i got a i got a christian yellow signed up card autograph card and that was awesome it's like it's cool to see when you know when you you're some of your favorite players or some of the players that you really you respect in in a sport that you really admire like baseball and myself it was really cool to see um it's a it's a rush like you said it's a rush to you know pull that card and take a look at what you just found and it's it's cool to have it in your hand and be able to like physically see it something that's like really interesting how we were saw this last week with the tops nft release and a lot of mixed reviews with that whole process a lot of people weren't able to either get the cards that they were promised or there was like a lot of you know a lot of back backlash with the way that they were handling like the payments and the wax payments and stuff like that with nfts and it, it i think it could have gone better for tops but you know it's it's interesting concept to, to you know because the mod, modern trends are you know nfts are hot right now there's a lot i think were you trying to put together an NFT for ATA? Yeah, we, we have yeah. one. Um, Garrett's the owner, Domestic Creator, which is pretty fun. So we have a one-of-one one ATA NFT <laughs> created on the blockchain backed with Ethereum. So you can trace it back to its original creation. It's pretty cool. And I, I like that idea when it comes to sports cards because, you know, you could also have an NFT that's tied to a real material object. Yeah. And that can be used as the certifier, the authentication that gets sent to the new purchaser of the material card as well. And so that can be a new way that other than like a beg a beckett you know certified someone checks it over you can just have it be tracked through that through the blockchain the whole time for an actual piece of material too so i think that that's another way that the blockchain can be used to tie into something with actual physical material value too not just something that exists 
on the internet. So you can have the internet version of a card tied to a real card too, which I think yeah. is really fun I th- and cool. I think that's important though, because a lot of people like with cards, they want to see it or they want it like yeah. in their hand, be some sort of physical yeah, version it. of something. Yeah. So Put I think that's really important. Case. Yeah. It's neat to, to have like a, a, you know, a digital version of the card or a, a, even like some of them are, you know, workable or like a player highlight or something like that. And mm-hmm. it's interesting. It's, it's a cool concept, but like I said, like the, the something about like the collectibles industry is all about you, the hobbyists want something physical that they could hold or display in their home or something along those lines. Um, but I think there's a lot, you know, more progression to be had in that field. But, you know, from what I, from I understand when I was reading with some of the tops reviews, it could have gone better than initial release of those NFTs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I like where the innovation is going. I know back in the day when cards were pretty cheaply made, it was just printed on a piece of cardboard. It was also pretty easy to fake them all the time, too, because you just needed a decent quality printer. It's not like the cut jobs from coming out of tops and coming out of upper deck were decent either. So it didn't matter if the card looked like it was perfectly printed, you know, so people were selling those to, you know, pawn shops and stuff like that. I was watching and the reason I bring this up is I was watching an old episode of Pawn Stars and somebody tried to sell like a 1950s Mickey Mantle and yeah. the, uh, Rick comes over. No, that's fake. You know, there's no way yeah. <laughs> in this good of a condition. And I think that's yeah. something where NFTs could prevent that, even that type of judgment. That's true. Off. It's easier to certify a card that way using those mm-hmm. when you have the backup like that. It's cool. Yeah. I, I specifically, I think, so Tops has a, a 1952 Mickey Mantle card that is like instantly regardless, basically regardless of condition, it's like $10,000 or like it's mm-hmm. an expensive card. Um, I, they also did a reprint in like 1992 or like 1993. Yeah. And that's, I have that version of the card. So that one's worth like Tops like 20 bucks like it's not yeah it's not it's, the, a it's not an insert that's cool yeah it's it's a cool card it looks exactly the same as the old one but it just doesn't have like the edges are cut cleanly on the new mm-hmm. the reprint like some of that stuff it's there's just it's just a, a newer version of the card and since it was a reprint it's not it's worth as it's not worth as much mm-hmm. it's crazy how the, those types of things you know make that the biggest difference it's literally like thousands and thousands of dollar difference because of you know, it's the same car, but it's just printed a different year. But, you know, right. it's, it's not worth nearly the same. It's not even you know, a fraction of the price. And, and small fractions can make a big difference in terms of the grading a card. You know, yeah. is it perfectly censored on the cut? Is it slight leaning? Is there any bumps on the corner? And that can bring a card from a 10 to a 7 in terms of the grading scale out of 10. And that could cost somebody hundreds, possibly thousands of dollars on a scale too, which is why... I think a big topic right now is whether it's worth it to get your cards graded. Yeah, I see that question a lot on social media. Yeah, and I think the general consensus, and I think this is something you told me, is that unless you have a card that's extremely rare and possibly worth thousands where you can extremely increase the value by having it graded and certified, it's probably better off just to sell it raw and ungraded and just to let people know, hey, this is a close-up picture. This is the best description I can do. This is a raw and graded card. Yeah, and also if if use common sense because if you if you realistically look at your car and you notice some dings and stuff like that, like the difference between a PSA eight to a PSA ten typically like is almost negligible. Like it's almost it's almost you can't even see it to the naked eye. Right. So. Um, if you could see some blemishes to your card, if you see some damages, it's it's almost not worth getting it graded because if you get if you get graded poorly, if you get a poor grading, like it's going to really affect the value in a negative way too. So it's not some. There are some cards where even if you think if you have the mint version of it, it's worth getting it graded. Sometimes it's still you know 
reconsider because you might be yeah. hurt yourself. You wait. And you could be wasting your time and money. You, you can't get it ungraded, you know. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, and expense. It's very expensive now to get your cards graded because everyone wants their cards graded, and mm-hmm. there's a huge waiting time. You can wait up to a year just to get your own card back. Yeah, and, and like, there, how there much are fun companies. Is that? Are you kidding me? There are companies that are trying to promise like a quicker turnaround time, but then they run into the same problem. So then they promise a quicker turnaround time and then they get blown up with all these different reviews and then right, they get backed they're up. promising, yeah, the quicker so turnaround it's, time. Yeah, it's, it's a, psych, a cyclical process with this stuff and it's really just a lot of a lot of supply I mean, or a lot of demand and not able to supply enough for the gradient process quickly enough. I think when, and you know, somebody trademarked this real quick, Ben, you know, this is ATA property, an idea just popped into my head. But how about an app that you can just scan your card from your phone, just like you can scan your check into your bank account, you know, and verify it. So the app scans the card, checks for imperfections, makes sure the card's real and gives a grading right on the app. And that's part of the marketplace. That's a pretty cool innovation that I think would be easy enough to do if you think about how technologically advanced iPhones and things of that yeah, nature are these that, days. That's um, that's an interesting idea. And a lot of the grading process nowadays has been um, attributed or allocated towards the AI process. Like a lot of computers and stuff like that are helping with the grading process for cards. Um, but there is like that threat of, you know, a lot of AIs will miss things. Like you'll cut, you'll see a, a card come back with like noticeable blemishes or like a off center print or something like that. And it'll still be graded like a PSA 10. Mm-hmm. So there are, there are like mistakes that happen like that. Um, but you know, that's an interesting idea in terms of the, the best, the best aspect of something like that would be the immediate turnaround or a quicker mm-hmm. turnaround. Something that's like you, people are able to buy and sell cards or at least ballpark graded cards um in, in a more you know quick a quicker fashion being able it'll be more like a stock market instead of you know a collectibles because it's interesting because the the sports card market has been labeled its own like unique asset market it's mm-hmm. not like anything else in in the the buyer selling of goods it's 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 really it's its own asset and it's it's treated that way um the collectibles market in that in that sense is really an interesting market that is not like others and then we see a lot of it, like different things and it's it's interesting because i think back to that reddit that the reddit situation we had a couple months ago with gamestop where mm-hmm. the reddit the reddit users were boosting up that stock there that can happen in sports cards too where because it's it's the assets are all um, uniquely controlled by individuals. Mm-hmm. There are ways for people to manipulate the market. Um, right. And there are people who like buy, try to buy as much of like Jason Tatum cards as possible. And they try to corner the market that way. Or like they're Gary V's mm-hmm. who own like all, t- all kinds of, you know, he buys like the mark, the, he corners the market on certain players or certain teams that he really thinks that are going to be incredibly valuable. And so that kind of stuff does exist. Right, right. And and you lower the you lower the supply, and then demand increases for those specific cards. And you can because you have a monopoly on that card, especially if it's like a card out of fifty or out of ninety nine. That's like yeah. a numbered sig card. You could probably buy all of them realistically, and then okay, everybody wants that card because no one has it, and you could sell mm-hmm. it for ten times the value. It's, it's not a bad play if you have the money and assets to do it. Yeah, it's it's crazy all the little intricacies that could happen with the market of sports cards because it's just it's it's 
totally unique. It's totally it's its own thing, and it's it's interesting to see how some of that stuff could happen. And to be honest, I, 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 while I'm very encouraged and very optimistic about sports cards, and you know, for the, at least the, the immediate future, next five to ten years, I think that we should see a continuation of generally what we've been noticing over the last year or two, um, in terms of you know the renewed vigor of collecting and in the sports collecting market. But um, it's it's really people have to be wary of the bubble of what it could be because it's possible that this sports card bubble is something that could eventually pop and the future of the collectibles market could be incredibly volatile i mean really it depends on the individual it depends on the sport it depends on the state of the games just all different kinds of variables are going to be impacting those types of things um so really, if, if I were to make long-term investments, it's really got to be for known commodities. I'm not going to make a lot of long-term long-term investments on guys that are younger in their careers and look to you know hold on to multiple like 10, 10, 20 years and hope to cash in then because the volatility of this, what the market could be is incredibly unpredictable. And really, your best bet for smart investments is trying to get guys who are already like known Hall of Famers or guys who uh, right. maybe could be voted into the Hall of Fame soon. Or, I mean, it's kind of morbid. It's kind of morbid, but Bill Russell may pass away within the next like five to 10 years. Like, that could be a boost to his collectibles market. It's very morbid thought, but you know, that exists in this market as well. So happened with Kobe cards, right? Yeah, exactly. Shot through the roof after his passing and you can't buy one now for under a hundred dollars, even just base base sets. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot to just flesh into with the whole thing. And I think that uh, while really it's almost like you can't go wrong with any card you're collecting right now in sports markets everything is going up pretty much for the most part mm-hmm. i don't i don't know that we'll we'll continue to see that for the long right. term i think there there will be some restraint eventually i mean right now it feels like we're surrounded by bubbles honestly okay you know in in you talk about america and you talk about inflation with the amount of money that the fed is pumping into the markets you talk about the stock market and how overinflated values are you talk about cryptocurrency and how how alternate coins like dogcoin or dogecoin are going up 500%. You have sports cards going through the roof. At some point, each one of these bubbles is going to pop. They're going to come down in value. The risk to the sports card game is, okay, well, what happens if people just lose interest because there's a reopening and everybody just not on their computers looking up card values all yeah. the time and on eBay auctions, they're going to be out on vacations. But also, there's also the risk that what happens if these sports cards companies start flooding the market with more cards? Well, that's one thing that's... Printing more Cards. That's what happened in the eighties and nineties. Yeah, that cost. That's there was the junk card era. You know, the well, that's one thing era. that um, a lot of like tops and Don Russ are are incredibly aware of nowadays. So mm-hmm. that's one thing that people collectors can at least lean back on a more positive fashion or or be more positive about, optimistic about, um, because the Don, tops and Don Russ have discussed like you know they they publicly you know make comments about the the hesitancy to flood the market with certain cards or, or trying right. to make sure, ensure the rarity of some specific cards or, or lines of their, their card mm-hmm. brands and stuff like that. And so that is something that cart like 
because it's more organized, every card has a number. Every card has a specific allocation for so the, what the quantity is going to be be in the in the final version is of them. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a lot more calculation with where cards go and how many cards are distributed and stuff like that. So there is a lot more calculation with how that's monitored and right. every card is categorized and and. Um, and journaled or, or they have complete records of what's been released. Mm-hmm. And that's something that is because it's a modern era is a little bit less uh, risky in, mm-hmm. in what you said, how in the eighties and like they were doing just mass reprints and they weren't, they were not holding value because they had just flooded the card market. And so that's right. definitely uh, an aspect of, you know, the new, the, with tops and Don Russ and all these other cards, Royal, Royal crowns, I think is another one. There's, there's different, you know, companies that are trying to be aware of, you know, avoiding mm-hmm. that issue. Yeah. Fleer and, and Chrome and all those upper deck. But it, what's interesting too, is these companies, you, you're absolutely right. It's, it's a financial decision for them to release a certain amount of cards because if they lose their secondary market value, then they also lose their retail value. If totally. someone can't sell a box of cards, they buy in target for twice as much on eBay, they're much likely to want to go wait in line at target to buy that box of cards initially. Um, what's interesting too, is we're going to get a lot more insight into to what they, these card companies are thinking because Tops is becoming a public company on the stock market. So they're going to have to start releasing quarterly earnings. They're going to have to do earnings calls where they're talking about their strategy, uh, totally. what types of things they're releasing, product updates. So it's actually going to be pretty cool. We can start to get um, a little bit more information besides just what they post on their website and a, a little bit of a deeper look into you know some of these card companies. Totally. I, I think that as a collector, you got to have um, long-term, both long-term and short-term strategies for this. Because obviously, I mean, it's it's a fun hobby, but for a lot of people, it's an investment because, I mean, the pricing of a lot of these cards is is skyrocketing. So you're going to be, mm-hmm. if you're collecting cards, you, you're investing a little bit and you're you're investing with hopes of eventually getting your money back or right. at least or making a profit, hopefully. And uh, what I think you got to do is... While it's really fun to, to, you know, snag that LaMelo Ball prism card or Anthony Edwards or John Morant prism card or something really valuable like that for a young player. I think that when you when you experience a boom for a a young player like that, so you get a Luka Doncic rookie card and, you know, he wins the NBA finals in in a year or two, like that could be the time to, you know, capitalize on Mm -hmm. the boom. Like if you get a boom for a player that you own, if the, if the, the value of your card skyrockets like to 500%, like you should be looking to cash in for the most part, because you don't know when that next boom is going to come or if it's going to come at all. Like I was mentioning how the, the, you know, the long-term volatility of this market could pop at any moment. Um, But really the long-term investments are the ones that we're talking about with like Bill Russell's, you know, Michael Jordan's always a good investment. He's just his card, you know, that, that card I, he broke, he broke the record, right? It was like 1.7 mil or something like that. 1.8 mil his card, yeah, his card sold for. Two point, I think a Brady went for like 2.9 or something. Yeah, like th- those cards are, I mean, obviously when you if when you, you know get to the... all-time great player, right. There, you know, there are some cards Brady, though like that. Like that Michael Jordan, Jordan card is not one that you're going to want to invest in because it's not going to go up from there. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like that's like that's the highest it's gonna get. So there are cards like there are there are excellent players that you know their their values will continue to go up, but you also have to know when the value has peaked. And that's the peak value for a Michael Jordan rookie card or whatever card it was. Like that's not gonna be something that you're gonna continue to grow on. So like 
it's a push and pull. It's a, it's you know Let's each play a little little bit of a game, Ben, because I have four players in mind, and I want to do a little bit of buy or sell on their cards with you. So you you down for this? Go ahead. All They're right, go ahead. Football players. So uh, you're thinking about the 2020 rookies. Uh, in, in the NFL and you talk about maybe okay. the prism cards. All right. So the, the big four quarterbacks people are looking to get are Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, Tua, and Jalen hurts. These are cards that are going for base base cards going for double digit dollars. If you get a, a patch, a rookie or, or a number, they're going for hundreds or thousands. All right. So let's stop, start from the top. Let's go with Justin Herbert rookie of the year. You buying, you holding, you selling. Totally. Yeah. I would buy Justin Herbert, stock because really cards what's really neat about playing cards or I mean sports cards um not playing cards sports cards is when you look at the back and you look at the stats like Justin Herbert at the end of his career is gonna have a full fucking sports card like his stats his stats are gonna be Drew Brees-esque like he's gonna he's gonna have a full list and so while you're getting a rookie card you're not gonna have that you eventually but the point is the stats for Justin Herbert are going to be incredible by the end of his career. And so he's a guy that you have you have to have some long-term optimism for. Mm-hmm. But like I was saying, for young players like that, if Justin Herbert wins an MVP award along his career, if he wins a Super Bowl, if you sell see right like, I would sell. I would look to sell most likely. Okay. Um, but you know, that's that's almost for any player really. And I don't have the yeah. long I don't have the kind of long-term uh guarantee of, you know, a substantial income to, you know, bank on. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I have oh knowing I have like a, you know, multiple thousand dollar card in my in my you know, my back safe. Like I'm not going to you be like sit on it for years. You know what I mean? Like I, I could right. use that money. So that's, mm-hmm. that's, you know, it's different for everybody. Everybody has their own, you know, specific. Yeah. And I think you make a great point about the statistics for someone like Justin Herbert, because on the back of that rookie card, you're going to see that he broke the rookie record for touchdowns. Yeah. So that's something that's going to hold value. If you have the rookie card of a player on the back of it, that also holds a record. That's going to be awesome. So let's move on to the next guy. Joey B, Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow is possibly the most unpredictable member of that group that you 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 just listed off because Joe Burrow is obviously very young, very talented. He looked great before he tore his ACL. And so we got, we got to see how he looks after that. But you could also look at it as an opportunity to buy low on a guy like this where mm-hmm. Joe Burrow was possibly people were most the most optimistic and the most, uh you know, put, Concern, or they were most looking fans were most looking forward to his performance as a rookie right. um, and he didn't disappoint really he he was excellent for the time he was out there just uh, the ACL is is always something you gotta be wary of people have it has really hindered or you know shot down some people's careers some great players careers and while I don't think I'm praying that's not the case with Joe Burrow he's a hard, incredibly hard worker you, you'd like to think that he is gonna recover from this you could maybe look at it as it's a risky buy low opportunity because it's uh it's Joe Burrow could come back next year and especially you know I would love to see him paired up with you know Jamar Chase from LSU pair up with his old his old teammate from uh, Louisiana State I, I want him to get protection I want them to draft Sewell, Sewell. And put him on the O-line and, yeah. and just make sure that he doesn't get well, the, nailed the, again the, the point is that's a good pick that's going to help him that's a right. good pick that's going to help him you know that six I, that I would, six pick is going to be a player that's going to help Joe Burrow I would buy Joe Burrow card right after the draft if they draft Sewell if I see them draft Sewell, I'm I'm buying in. He's going to have more protection. He's going to have the stats this year. If they don't address the offensive line, he's just going to get murdered all over again. And the chance yeah. of another injury, possibly a career ender 
you know, when you already lost one ACL, if he has another bad injury to that leg or possibly the other one compensating, there goes the value of the card. His career is over. So definitely yeah. a risky buy low. But if they address that offensive line, it's a guy I'm buying into personally. Yeah. When injuries take place, especially significant injuries like that, you have to look at the the player's individual situation and determine for yourself whether or not you're going to be optimistic for that player's future or whether or not this injury could really hinder their potential you know, output going forward. I think we both feel comfortable with Herbert and Burrow because they're clearly the locked-in starter on their teams. I think what's interesting, there's been a little bit of controversy and discussion around the next two guys on the list I mentioned being Tua and Jalen Hurts. So Tua, they've been saying, oh, should we keep him as a quarterback? They went back and forth last year with Fitzpatrick. And yet his rookie cards going from close to as much as Joe Burrow's. What do you think about uh, Tua there, Ben? You know, I'm not a Tua guy. Um, I Look, I, I think Tua is a, a league average at best quarterback. While he has, mo- he can have moments where the the legs and that the strong arm can get him to you know uh, uh, p- occasional impressive performance. I don't think Tua is going to be the kind of player that uh, leads a franchise to Super Bowls or long playoff runs. I think he's you know limited in what his abilities can produce on the field in the NFL and. Well, I did love his performances in Al- at Alabama. I just don't think the NFL is going to be. Uh, I I just don't see him being the the kind of star player that Herbert and Burrow could be. He just something about the way that he's looked in Miami, and I I, I just don't know that he has that that skill set that I'm looking for right. out of. Uh, I think you could you could sell high on Tua possibly on that's in some aspects or it went to a you know experiences a boom when Miami Miami is going to be a good team this year there could be a, bo- a Tua boom and right. if because if Tua could play well this year and so that could be you know an opportunity to maybe you know sell high on a Tua rookie card or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think if you I think I don't mind selling Tua right now just because there's risk next year that if he starts playing badly they could clearly they could make bench him. Some, they could bench him. They could have. They could clearly signal. They could start trading some players away, loading up on draft picks for the following year, signaling yeah. that they're ready to move on at quarterback. And, and there you go. Your card loses a ton of value. You know, he was outplayed by Ryan Fitzpatrick on his own team, given it was his rookie year and injured, so still potential. But I, I'm a little bit worried about Tua. I don't mind the idea of selling now or maybe holding and hoping he gets off to a hot start and then selling midseason. But probably not someone I feel the most confident about long term, especially with that hip injury. So, yeah. yeah, I think. I, I'm probably a sell or a hold and sell on Tua. He's, and then he's interesting, guy, but yeah. Oh, yep. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah. Go. Okay, you so want, you want to talk guy, I'm ready to transition into Hurts. No, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, and maybe this is also a good segue into our next topic, which is, which is the draft, because we have the Eagles not signaling whether they're ready to name Jalen Hurts as their quarterback. Bizarre. We had all the controversy Bizarre. last year, and yet the owner clearly wants to build around this team. It seems like the coach was brought in as like a second Frank Wright to help get Carson Wentz online, but Wentz just wanted out of there. So now we have another quarterback controversy possibly, and Hurts looked like a decent enough player to where I feel like he could get a shot and he should get his shot as the starting quarterback. Why aren't they putting the confidence in him? And why is his card still being sold for so much? Uh, 
my my guess, I, I mean, I haven't done too much reading about with the situation, but my guess when I saw that headline that they weren't naming him the, the starter was just some sort of typical new NFL coach trying to, you know, be rah-rah and, and t- traditional, like, you know, we will work hard in this organization. We're going to earn everything. Like, he, uh, he's got to go into Philadelphia, you know, considering Jalen Hurts is starting quarterback. You can't, you can't be, like, you, you wouldn't take the job if that wasn't the case, really. Um, but, you know, that's just kind of, you know, a, a culture that the NFL has bred. You know, you got to earn it. You got to – nothing's given to – I'm a new coach. You got to earn your spot on my roster. Every every one of the 53 players has to earn their spot on our team. Like, that's going to be – it sounds like the mentality they're going to have in Philadelphia this year. So, I, I don't take too much stock out of that. I think Jalen Hurts is the kind of player that wouldn't get mentally shaken up by something like that. Very, you know, known for his strong leadership ability and, and right. strong mental capacity. I mean, the guy's a leader and you, we saw that both in Alabama and at Oklahoma yeah. in his college years. And so Very I wouldn't be player. Yeah. I wouldn't be too worried about that. And, you know, Hurts is someone I'm extremely optimistic about because hmm. if you're looking at his cards, it could be an opportunity to buy low before he booms again because mm-hmm. while he finished the season strong, leading to a lot of people like myself to fantasy championships, um, he could be someone that takes another step forward again next year. <laughs> Bringing up your fantasy championship yeah. casually months later. Screw right? you. <laughs> I love it. No, but Jalen Hurts is somebody that could be a fantasy monster rock star could be a rock star and, and that legs. that has an aspect in the collectibles market like that's that's a factor because if he's you know the the a top five fantasy quarterback every fantasy owner is going to be willing to you know want to collect his card and there's going to be a lot of overlap in those two yeah. markets for sure so that's that's something to consider as well and while you know maybe the long-term value of a guy like jalen hurts isn't incredibly reliable like you don't know how his future in the nfl is going to shake out because the type of player that he is and you know he's a very physical guy he uses his legs a lot like an injury could really derail that type of skill set that he has that he flourishes on um but the immediate like two three year window with hertz could be you know incredibly optimistic incredibly valuable so i would definitely maybe look to buy and hold jalen hertz right now and then with hopes of a, a bubble coming within the next couple of years or so or a, a boom coming in the next couple of years yeah someone with the type of talent that if he puts together the passing he could have a very strong season on the ground and through the air the question is can he put up the the yards per game that we're looking for that's going to maintain somebody in a starting quarterback position we know he can do it with his legs totally yeah the what the eagles do in the draft is going to be interesting for them i mean that i don't think they have a first round pick um but the this this draft is incredibly interesting, and what's crazy is you know, I it, I've been seeing draft pit like draft analysis and stuff like that for almost a month or two now, and it's mm-hmm. like the draft isn't even until I think it's like May 9th or something like that or May eighth. Like it, it's 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 still a ways away. We got weeks to go, and so there's going to be a lot of you know different storylines that come and go within the next couple of weeks before the actual draft takes place. But everybody's jumping on like like crazy. Yeah. It, we Max keep seeing Jones different like the top of the second round and all right? of a sudden he's a top 10 pick now and i'm like what changed what, yeah. what, what happened in the meantime where all of i mean a sudden uh, he's ju- a top justin 
Justin that. Fields. Justin Fields keeps sliding according to these mock drafts, and then, and then and then you'll see him go at second to the New York Jets. It's like right. where's nobody has any idea besides after Lawrence after the first pick. Like right. nobody has any idea who who's going where. Is that is what I'm gathering? Because mm-hmm. it, it, I, how many how many different storylines have you seen already on the NFL draft? It, it's it's endless. I think Lawrence is the only locked in player that I would feel comfortable predicting at this point. I mean, the rest of the rest of the first round is kind of all over the place. Did, did you see the news that um, the the guy out of Alabama, the wide receiver, is that Devonta Smith? Um, yeah, Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddle. So Smith weighed in at 166 pounds. <laughs> He's tiny. Six foot two, 166. He's Are tiny. You kidding dude. me? The thing I with Devonte Smith, six in seventh grade. <laughs> they talk incredible. about they talk about what Smith is his incredible. Obviously, he he won the Heisman, but so he's incredibly fast and incredibly gifted with his hands. But he uh, his his best attribute on the field is his mind. He's an incredibly smart receiver. He'll come back. They were saying he would come back uh, after, you know, drives and and sit down with the with the offense and talk about what they were doing and what they were doing in coverage and and what to look for going forward and like the guy is is an all all pro type of talent in terms of what he sees yeah. and is able to comprehend on the football field. And while that his his ba- his big knock, the 166 light, he's a very lightweight receiver. Um I think that that's the most fixable attribute of a player right. like of his skill set. I mean, he's all, he already has the skills to to succeed at some of the highest levels. We saw how great well hands, he did. Great speed, yeah, absolutely. So the Giants are have been the team that has been highly rumored to be targeting him at, at eleven. So that could be one of your guys that you know joins you in New York. Imagine Kenny G and Devonta on both sides of the ball. That would be incredible. Ingram and Barkley. That offense, I mean, I, if they drafted him, let me get some Dan Jones rookie cards, okay? Because he might break out. He's a guy who has the potential and the talent and just really hasn't ever had a team that seemed organized and had all its weapons healthy, healthy on the field. Yeah. Right. He didn't really get to play with Odell. They went ahead and traded for Golden Tate, who, oh, awesome, a field stretcher. Not really. You know, they let yeah. him go this year. Finally, they're bringing in some talent. So we get to actually evaluate. If he doesn't do it this year, though, he, his career is done. Move on. Yeah. I, I'm super interested to see what the Patriots do with the draft this year because they got the 15th pick. And there's a lot of talk about their desire to move up and select one of these, you know, quarterbacks that they're targeting i'm hearing mac um, jones is the latest right the well, connection with nick saban I've, yeah mac jones is a guy that kind of makes sense with you know the, what they try to do in the in the patriots offense but i mean also justin fields has been a guy that i know bill simmons has been incredibly uh, you know big on the justin fields bandwagon hoping that they could trade up snag him but you know if they stay at 15 a lot of people in the mock drafts have been projecting them to get waddle out of alabama which would be an incredible snag for them i mean jalen waddle nelson aguilar like those two tight ends johnny smith and hunter henry that's an elite yeah. passing game like that that's those are some good passing weapons and so They're great tight ends fantastic that's really going to help cam newton because that's exactly what he does but what's interesting the, the is arm with cam newton in, is so worrisome yeah if you bring in justin fields what i like about that is if cam struggles mid-season you don't really have to change the offense too much because True. justin fields is a very large um and athletic mobile quarterback a very big build like cam too who can handle a lot of the same duties one of the cam comps for fields. The goal line for sure a comp so if you say okay now we have a struggling cam 
let's put him on the back burner, just have a mentor Justin for a few games and let, let's get Justin in this offense. The weapons will work just as good for Justin Field as they do for Cam Newton. So that is an interesting thought if they go go that direction. But I think that's someone they would have to probably trade up for. And well, Belichick doesn't trade up for anyone. Yeah, exactly. That's not, that, would, that would go against his style. I think he's only done that like maybe two or three times in his, right. his entire tenure. So that would not be something that he's you know done a lot of. The the Patriots signings for free agency during the NFL offseason were, were pretty interesting to me because that they were the they were the, the headline in day one of free agencies, which is not not something I'm familiar not with as a Patriots fan. Sure. Not That's typical. Why Tom Brady left because it's completely atypical for them. Yeah, it was interesting because, I mean, you look at just in general when you're bidding on players in, in free agency, like day one is when you're not you're getting the worst deals. Like you're paying up your top dollar for your guys, your targets. Like that's when guys are going to get paid the most money on day one when, you know, they're, they're taking their number one options. And usually the Patriots try to, you know, get guys in and save the most value as possible as they could get, like get the most value out of their signings, you know, get bargain players and, you know, get the, the clear, the guys on clearance and they, they went out and spent a lot of money on guys like Nelson Aguilar, Johnny Smith, Johnny Smith. I really do like Hunter mm-hmm. Henry. Um, you know, there was a lot of guys that the linebacker came I can't believe I'm forgetting all their names, but they, 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 they have what they spent like over a hundred million dollars on day one. Like that's not something that the Patriots have done very often. You and, have to wonder how much of it is related to maybe trying to keep Belichick around because I don't think he wants to sit with a mediocre team for another couple of years either. He's yeah. getting up there in age and he might pull a Brady and move out of town. Yeah. The, the, my thought was, you know, the Patriots probably looked at it as they are a, t- a team that tries to, you know, spend $80 on the dollar or, you know, 75 mm-hmm. cents to the dollar. They try mm-hmm. to find like, you know, the, the big, the best, like I said, values for players this and on the margin. Absolutely. This year, this year, the off season has been strange because there are a lot of teams that have no cap space. They have no cap flexibility whatsoever. They cannot spend money or if they do, yeah. they're going, they're going completely in the red. Like there are a lot of teams that are in this situation. And so the Patriots, you wonder how many other teams they were bidding against. Maybe they knew what the market was going was going to look like cuz because let's be honest, like the free agency period be- begins on that day. I think it was like what uh Cam it was uh February something, February 20 something or I can't remember the day it was, but the or maybe March I can't remember, whatever. But the point is you the you can't uh, be expecting that teams are honoring that free agent code where they're not allowed to talk to players before, you know, the negotiating period starts. Like they're going, they're, they're talking to agents, talking. they're talking to, yeah. yeah, they're talking to people in their camp. Like there's a lot of work around with that stuff and teams know My generally. talk to your people, right? Yeah, they you know generally what they're going to be But paying. I can have Demi talk to your, your girlfriend or your sister or something, right? We can communicate yeah. that way. So there is, a, you, you can't deny like that's happening. Like the Patriots had an idea of what these guys were going to sign for and they figured it was worth it for them. And so really for me, the only one that I, I was questionable about was the Nelson Aguilar one. You don't think the Patriots are willing to cheat? Come on. <laughs> hey, watch yourself. No, uh, Nelson Nelson Aguilar was the one for me that I was like, ah, that might be too much. But, you know, it's only a two-year deal. So uh, he did play well last year in, you know, in uh, Oak or 
No, oh, Las Vegas. I was going to say Oakland. Yeah, exactly. On the Raiders, he had over 900 yeah. yards. It seemed like he was always streaking open, catching a deep ball mm-hmm. from Derek Carr, who's not a great deep ball thrower, too. I'm, so ha- very I'm, haunted by, I'm haunted by Aguilar's performance in Philadelphia still, though. Like, I know, because I, I followed Aguilar, you know, his career because he was a USC Trojan and mm-hmm. um, someone that I liked in college. And he just, he was not good with Philadelphia. He dropped it. He dropped that. Remember that? Remember that clip of the guy? Of passes, remember so. the clip of that guy who saved someone from a burning building or something like that? And he's like, yeah, yeah I, caught, I, I caught the guy. I caught the baby, but not like Nelson Aguilar. He gives the camera like yeah, that. Yeah, he's like, thank, thank God Aguilar wasn't the one under the baby yeah. went through his hands. Like, oh, dang. That's crazy. Yeah, that was hilarious. Um, but the, really the Patriots were the storyline with day one. And so we'll have to see how that – they have a lot of guys coming back. They have a, they're going to have a very different roster next year. I'm optimistic as a Patriots fan. And what, I think the draft is going to indicate what they're going to try to do this year though because if they get their targets in the draft, I think that's going to be really encouraging for them going into the season. Yeah, and I think one thing that has to play into the fact why Belichick never traded up is because they had Tom Brady all those years. So mm-hmm. typically when you do trade up for a player, it's for a quarterback. Otherwise, there usually is a, a, a decent talent pool that you can select from later in the round. But quarterbacks you have to pay a premium for. So it'll be interesting now that the Patriots actually do need a quarterback. Are they willing to move up and pay that premium? Like they did in the offseason on day one, they paid that premium to get those tight ends and the wide receivers are they going to do it for the quarterback in the draft i think it's possible it's going to be interesting this year i don't out of all the years previously where you you know i would have guessed most of the time the pats would have traded out of the pick and moved back in the draft that's what they do they get value right this year they might move up they need to get a quarterback to fix this uh you know this this hole they have on their team Uh, yeah and what's crazy is you know we got a loaded quarterback class five like guaranteed first rounders. You got Lawrence Wilson, uh, Fields, Trey Lance, Lance and, yeah. and, and Mac, um, Jones. Mac Jones. And so really if the Patriots are able to land Jones, Fields or or Lance, I think that they would consider it a positive draft for them. But the, the hit rate on quarterbacks and then the draft is literally like, like two to one. Like you, you, mm. you hit 50% of your, of your quarterback drafts essentially. And the odds of the of one of those there, there's going to be two or three of those players that don't pan out. I right. guarantee it. Like there's going to be two or three of those guys. Are you going to get a Watson or are you going to get a Rosen and a Trubisky? Right. <laughs> right. So it's a lot of risk with with trading up, and so I see why the Patriots in the long run have avoided that trend. But this might be the the you know the uh, the situation that you know calls calls for the exception and and we'll see what, what Belichick wants to do. I, I don't know what it's hard to predict what they're gonna, you know, interpret how their situation goes. But other teams to to watch out for there there are Offseason, I really love what the Browns have been doing, the Cleveland Browns. And so they're looking to be going into this season, build off the, you know, last year they had an encouraging year with Kevin Stefanski's first first uh, head coaching season for them. They signed Jadavian Clowney, Malik Jackson, Troy Hill, and John Johnson. Really, you know, shirt up that defense in, in Cleveland, bringing back Odell Beckham Jr., this uh, him coming back from the ACL injury, hopefully getting a full Nick Chubb and, and uh, Kareem Hunt healthy season baker mayfield hopefully coming back and improving on last year like they're a team that a lot of people are going to be optimistic about and one of those hype teams are you, are you going to be optimistic about them this year absolutely i mean the back half of the year they looked fantastic they have a really exciting defense with miles garrett nick chubb and kareem hunt are one of the best duos out of the backfield probably the best running back combination in the league 
And if you saw their passing game, the way it opened up with Odell gone and Baker kind of free flowing across the field, if they can get back to that with Odell on the field and not over target him, and hopefully he is going to come back in slowly and not require all the targets after seeing the success the team had without him. I mean, he's an amazing player, an amazing talent, and somebody I'd still rather have on the field than not. And I think it still increases their potential when you have a guy who previously has gone for 1,500, 1,400 yards in a season. So Totally. Okay, what about Miami? The Miami Dolphins signing Will Fuller, Malcolm Brown, Jacoby Brissett, really trying to, you know, ensure that their offense is going to be consistent again this year. Uh, I, I was intrigued by the Brissett, the Br- Jacoby Brissett backup signing because I think he's one of the better backups in the league. And so, if, like you yeah. said, if Tua struggles at all this year, Brissett might be a guy that could at least pull the the hat the rabbit out of the hat and help them make the playoffs if if they're in a similar situation last year where they won 11 games right and they missed the playoffs like that might that 12th game might have been the difference so yeah he's certainly a serviceable quarterback i really like miami again you know xavier howard incredible um interesting that they let let go of kyle van noy after one of his best seasons obviously went right back to the pats mm-hmm. so uh it's going to be interesting to see what they do they fully committed to tua and they're bringing in Will Fuller, so they're going to give him the weapons he needs. You think maybe Preston Williams is going to come back. Devontae Parker, one of the best 50-50 catch balls in the, in the, in the league. Uh, and then you add in Will Fuller, who's a complete speedster. Maybe that will open up the outside of the field where Tua had a lot of trouble throwing. He was very accurate across the middle, but he didn't really like to go long and outside. I really hope – I love Kyle Pitts in this draft. I think he's the oh, best player in this incredible. draft. I hope he goes to Miami. Dude, and they would be really, it would be really fun. Sticky and Pitts combo would remind me a lot of the Gronk and Hernandez combo. Gasicki, yeah. the larger player, really good at boxing out 50 50 balls. And then the Hernandez style. And, and of course, he's coming out of Florida too, which is really funny comparison. But Kyle Pitts, the athleticism out of this guy and the way he can run routes is just incredible. He, he's a one of one in this draft and, and a, probably. Yeah. Uh, a top five talent. So yeah, really interesting how they operated that trade, that trade, the double trade that they made where they traded back and then traded up or they Warren Sharp was expressing this on the Bill Simmons podcast. Like they wouldn't have made that first trade if they didn't know they had the second one already. So like yeah. they, they didn't see it as trading back and then back up. They were just trading back three slots. Yeah. To, you know, get the six like pick. A, a three team trade. They, they, right? they, they, they I, I, the way I see it is they probably figure that they're guaranteed to get either Pitts or Jamar Chase. And I think those are the two guys that they're going to try to bring in. Both of them are elite pass catching options that are going to help Tua. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, like how we, how we were talking about Tua's card – uh, card, card you know, value, yeah. popularity, card value going forward. Those could be the kind of players that really help to uh, succeed in his career. So that would be really good for them, I think. And he has really good pass catching running backs in uh, Salvin Ahmed and Miles Gaskin. Both guys, when you have a pass catching running back like that, that really helps inflate the quarterback stats because they can take a dump off pass for from five yards and, and make it go 40 yards. You know, we saw it multiple times last season. So another way that Tua can have that support system around him, he just has the dump off pass that, that he needs. But if you think about the weapons that could be surrounding him after the draft with the signings i mean they're really setting it up for his success just like the giants are doing with danny jones they're kind of saying like okay we're gonna give you the keys to the car if you crash it you're not getting the keys back yeah i also really like what the kansas city chiefs did this offseason they you know the glaring weakness in their super bowl performance last year was the offensive line what do they do they They go out and style kyle long joe thuny 
Austin Blythe, like they they directly address address the the glaring weaknesses that they had in the offensive line, and the the Chiefs, you know, the rich get richer. I mean, they're going to have hopefully some better protection for Mahomes with and with, with Mahomes being better protected. Who knows what that man could do? I mean, it's crazy what he already does. You know, <laughs> what did he run like four hundred something yards, something like that, five hundred yards last uh, in the Super Bowl? They tracked like how far he ran. Yes, the guy was on a, a, a con- constant treadmill. Like, crazy. Always running, and he was—he—he he nearly had like some of the best throws that we'd ever seen in the Super Bowl. If it just you know a tip pass here or, or just like a few inches here, like there, he almost had an incredible game. And what if if you give that guy a little bit more time, you give him a little bit more space to work with, it'll be impressive to see what he could do because uh, he's already you know the best quarterback he, any of us have ever seen. He's the most valuable asset in the NFL right now, and when yeah. you have a valuable asset, you put security around it, you protect it, and they did not do that last year in the Super Bowl. They're doing what they need to do to protect their asset, and literally he is. He's signed to a huge mega contract. He's costing them hundreds of millions of dollars. They cannot afford to let this guy get injured. So, 100%. And this is a you know, multi-year decision, a decade. You know, They have this guy for for the foreseeable future. So absolutely doing the right things. Last, last NFL question. Last NFL question. Are, are you, how are you feel about Deshaun Watson in this incredibly bizarre situation? He wanted to get traded. They weren't trading him. And then this whole story about multiple, multiple, like do, over a dozen women talking about being victimized sexually in during massages that, that, Watson had been, you know, taken throughout the Houston area. Really a bizarre story. What what are, what are your thoughts on on Watson this offseason? I mean, it's it's kind of crazy how initially when he was going through the process of trying to push his way out of Houston, he literally was seen as one of the most likable players in the league, a guy who does everything right and how quickly that can flip on its head. And I think it's important to remember that we really don't know what's going on behind the curtain. And I think it's important to take these accusations seriously and to, you know, make sure that we don't blindly push them away just because he's a famous athlete. I mean, obviously there seems to be some type of trend here. Again, I don't, I don't care who you, I don't care who you are. Like you could be a famous athlete or not. Like nobody wants your penis to touch them. Like with, with like involuntarily, like, right. Don't take your penis out in front of somebody who doesn't want to see it like that. That's not cool. Like right. that's, that. The stories are just terrible, mm-hmm. awful. Like it's it's sickening to see like a player just take advantage of or mm-hmm. a, a, any sort of celebrity like take advantage yeah. of that kind of stuff. It's like, dude, what the hell is wrong with you? Yeah. Like, I mean, uh, in, innocent until proven guilty. So I'm not gonna I'm gonna condemn the actions he's accused of 100. Do not do that. Do we know if he actually did those actions? No. So I'm going to let it play out in a court of law and make sure that evidence is brought to There's the table. Something... And I think he should get punished to the yeah. fullest extent if these stories are true. If not, yeah. then he's, he's a good quarterback, a really good talent. And I hope he can bounce back from it if these are false accusations. But it's just it's a really sickening story and very disheartening. Yeah, for me. I mean, obviously, like, that's just, like, despicable, that, that kind of the actions that he's being accused of. And if they are true, and there has to be some sort of truth to what they're saying. Like, maybe not all of it. I mean, hopefully, they, you know, he's not as terrible of a person and that they're you know, making him out to be. And we have to true, right? I, I would yeah. prefer it not to be true. But if it is, uh, you have to make he, sure that you, you support the victims of, of this crime and, and make sure that he's yeah. punished. For, for me also, like, there's kind of like a really despicable and slimy aspect of this is like, maybe is it a time that you could buy low on a guy like Sean Watson? Like, it, it 
if this turns out, even like worst case scenario, he gets convicted of or he gets charged with guilty with, you know, multiple counts of sexual, sexual assault, assault or something like he he's he's still going to like, you know, eventually play NFL football at, again at some point. Like he he should make it back on the football field at some point. And he's only what, 26, 27 years old. Like he gets maybe suspended a, a one year at worst. Like he gets suspended one season. That, that's maybe the worst case scenario. So like it's a pretty slimy, you know, concept or idea. But is it a time that you could maybe buy low on a franchise quarterback? Because you could either in the in real football, you, you could trade for a guy like that, right. knowing that, you know, maybe he has a suspension coming his way. But you pay like 25 cents to the dollar for a guy like, you know, that could really change the franchise around when he's playing healthy on the football field. And even like in in the collectibles market like maybe this is i think this is going to severely impact his likability obviously oh, yeah, so sure. it's going to you know impact his collectibles market but if he wins a super bowl if he wins an mvp like there will be a boom at some point for mm-hmm. that for that market of his and so it could be a chance to buy low on some of the stuff with deshaun watson and it's a, it's a slimy aspect but you know you're trying to we're talking about trying to find value on the margins here and and uh you know watson you know it's an incredibly complicated situation, but it could be an opportunity to, you know, to capitalize on some of the value you could get on a guy like this. Yeah, I mean, in, in real NFL terms, he, he would help a lot of different teams. The question is, is there the value there? Are you able to get him low enough because of the possibility of the suspension or not? And we really don't know what's going to happen. You know, he might be banned from the league if these accusations come out to be true. I mean, there's a lot yeah. of accusations, so there could be a big penalty here. I don't know. I don't think Houston would trade him amidst the controversy because of because of, of the, the value fear, proposition the, for sure. Yeah, he nobody really knows what he should be valued at this point because of what's been going on. So I, I just I wanted to throw that out there because I think it, it would be interesting consideration. Mm-hmm. All right, can we talk some NBA basketball? Absolutely, absolutely. Let's All right, do let's, that. let's do let's do five to ten minutes on NBA basketball here because. We're getting into the the final. I think we're going into the final maybe dozen or so games of the season. The Eastern Conference contenders are, you know, Brooklyn, Philadelphia, Boston starting to make a run. Atlanta's going to be the four seed. There's going to be some good teams in the East. But for me, it comes down to Philadelphia and Brooklyn, whether or not they're going to be healthy. Um, I think if Brooklyn stays healthy, they're going to be the team to beat, obviously. Um, The talent with Brooklyn is just historic. I mean, the, you you pair up three of those guys, Harden, Kyrie, and Durant. Like, it's it's impressive to watch when the three are on the court. But it's only happened like seven times this year, so that's going to be their major X factor with with Brooklyn. And so, if Brooklyn falters at all, I think Philadelphia is going to be happy happy to pick up the pieces and and carry carry the Eastern Conference torch forward into the finals. But we'll see. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I have a little bit of money on the Nets from the preseason when they were, were there when there was rumors about James Harden going there. I figured, why not throw ten bucks on him? So I'm kind of rooting for that to play out. Um, but the 76ers, you know, the, the story around them and Embiid and Simmons figuring it out and playing well together, seeing them top of the league, and it, it's nice to see the Doc Rivers come back, moving from LA to Philly, and that team performing well. I have to think that the Nets are the favorites coming out of the Eastern Conference, though, with the offensive efficiency, the three point shooting from Joe Harris. I mean, this team is just so balanced across the board. They have decent bigs. They can rebound. They can stack up against any team. And Kevin Durant is just 
he's an MVP number two in the league type of player every single year to LeBron James personally is my opinion, but he can, he's just can do everything, you know, seven foot shoot. He can defend. I think that yeah. team is the, the way to go. The Bucks have been a team that's incredibly slept on for the Eastern conference. I mean, really did they, are they any worse than they were the last couple seasons that they won the, they had the one seed. And so I think people are just souring on them because of the fact that they've seen Giannis in the it's, postseason. It's a fatigue. It's and, a Giannis fatigue for sure. He's back to back MVPs yeah. and then they haven't done anything. And he really should be, a, he should really be getting more consideration for MVP again this year. Oh, I mean, the guys yeah. have an incredible season. Um, the Bucks are just one of those teams that people just don't believe that they could do it in the postseason anymore. So right. I think they, they're they're getting a little bit undervalued. And, and similarly, I think the Clippers on the in the Western Conference are the same in the same boat. I think the Clippers in the Western Conference are a team that's they yeah. I mean, look at I mean the Clippers are, have been slept on this whole season because the fact that people were so optimistic about their their talent and potential last year, mm-hmm. and they really the Clippers really just. Uh, choked for lack of a better word last year they really just disappointed a lot of the expectations that a lot of people had placed on had placed on them and this year people don't want to get burned by the Clippers they don't want to get burned by the Bucks. yet these two teams are both in the three seed right now in, in a very comfortable spot to you know make a good postseason run and I, I would be wary about both of them I think both of them could be very strong contenders for a, a finals appearance yeah I mean the, the Clippers are nine and one in their last 10 games they're absolutely making a move up the standings and they could they, they could catch up to the Suns by the end of the year the Suns have been the team that everybody is like the dark horse Suns you know they got Chris Paul leading the way like Chris Paul all this renewed Chris Paul vigor with you know everybody wanted to throw him out the league when he was in Houston leaving Houston going to OKC they thought right. oh you know it's Chris they Paul was just going to the, the scrapyard for yeah. Russell Westbrook with Chris Paul. Yeah. Like, are you kidding me? Look at the way that trade turned out to be. I'd much rather have Paul for sure. So uh, it's just a it's just a weird situation. I, the Suns are the team that people want to talk about, but the Clippers are the team that I think people should be talking about because the Clippers have been the hottest team in the NBA right now. And with especially with Jamal Murray, you know, getting the ACL injury, he's going to be out for the season. Really devastating to see a lot uh, a, a lot of question marks between Davis and LeBron and whether or not they're healthy and how effective they're going to be when they come back. Uh, there's just a lot of question marks. The Jazz had Donovan Mitchell go, da- go down with the ankle sprain recently. This could be a year that, you know, the, the stars kind of align for the Los Angeles Clippers. And I, while I, I'm trying to also speak it into existence, I'm also trying to, you know, not not jinx, jinx them. Too. Because the, the, the best thing about the Clippers is when they're slept on, when they're the underdogs, when people don't expect them to win. That's when they're at their best. Yeah. When they have all these expectations, they got to a, a 25 point lead. Like that's when they're at their worst, go figure. Like when they're expected to win, mm-hmm. they you, when they take the the gas the foot off the gas and they start to coast, that's when they're, they're really struggling. And when they don't they don't know they don't have the autopilot. They always have to be grinding, always have to be fighting. They don't have the autopilot that like LeBron teams have when the, you know LeBron goes down and they're still in the 5th seed and they're 5 and 5 in the last 10. Like they're still a decent team because mm-hmm. His teams just go into autopilot and they they go they you know they collect wins they they tread water. That's not the Clippers. They're always up and down, always riding a roller coaster of the highs and lows. And so, with as a Clippers fan over the years, there's been a lot of lows. Don't get me wrong, more lows than highs. Is it a but Paul George I, redemption season? You know, does do they could make be. A, I mean, he has he's been playing awesome great this year. Yeah, he he's looks playing. Back he's to playing his really OKC great days when he was like close him, to the MVP. Him and Kawhi should finish in like the top five, top six, top seven MVP voting at least. Kawhi like, they, always slept on for the MVP voting too. He just consistently puts up stats under the radar. <laughs> Yeah, it'll be interesting. I, I I'm optimistic. For like, if you, if I was a gambling man, I mean, 
obviously the the Nets and the Lakers are going to be favorites for uh, you know win the championship. But you know, there's a lot of value I think in the 76ers and the Bucks, as well as you know the Clippers. Um, maybe the, I'd consider the Suns as the dark horse. That's the, that's the popular pick though. So usually when the public gets you know going on a team like that before the postseason even starts, you got to be wary of those types of things because especially in gambling circles, like the odds will be negatively affected by that type of stuff. So. So what do you think uh, if you had to pick right now a team to win the championship and a player to win the MVP this year? Who are you, who are you going with? Jokic is my MVP. If if the especially if the Nuggets stay a top four seed where they are right now, they're they're uh, they have a, a three and a half a three game lead over the Lakers from four to five. If the Nuggets could stay in that four seed, Jokic has to be the MVP for me. I mean, he's been incredible. Uh, I just Embiid's going to play like fifty to fifty two games. Mm-hmm. It's not enough for me. I, I he's had a great season. Season, it's just he, playing seventy five percent of the game, playing seventy percent of the games just isn't enough for me. I, I and Harden's he, across been, off because awesome. of the way he left yeah. Houston. Don't, yeah, don't don't even give me two cents on Harden. Like you, you can't push yourself out of a team and then immediately the disqualified. Yeah, yeah. he's he is disqualified for me. Really, it comes well, what down would to those stats have to look like over the last you know couple of weeks for the, of the season. If he's averaging over he forty a game, he, and or just, it, it just would be impossible. impossible. You're talking about impossible stat lines for me to consider him as my MVP. Like it would have it would be literally unprecedented stat lines, and that's not going to happen. So the really the interesting storyline, the narrative coming about the last couple of days has been. Steph Curry trying right. to advocate for his MVP candidacy. He's the Warriors are in the ninth seed right now. They're 29 and 30, so one game under 500. They're going to be in the playing tournament in all likelihood. Like, can a team that's lower, they're going to be like, they're, if they stay in the ninth seed, I mean, maybe they can move up one spot to the, the eighth seed and beat the Grizzlies, but like, it's you can't that win would the be a MVP crazy award at 29 and you 30. Can't. You can't be under 500 and win the MVP. I'm sorry. But really, like, he. He has a legitimate candidacy for it because imagine how bad the Warriors – the Warriors would be the worst team in the NBA if they didn't have Curry. He's leading the league in rate. scoring. I mean, the shots he's making over he's this incredible. Last, like 10-game stretch where he's averaging over 40. He just took – This the, might be the, the best we've ever seen Curry. Yeah. I mean, I know Curry had some incredible, incredible runs it's like in 2016, 2017. Like, too, right. You know, yeah, exactly. That's that's a different aspect of this. Uh, you know, we, when he had Clay around him and KD, he never yeah. had to be. Used it's really it's his Harden. It's his Harden season. Yeah, the the fact that I mean, Harden had to do all that bullshit in Houston. You know, could getting usage rates like near the forty percent. Like Curry has an opportunity now where he's needed to be used as in the increased fashion that he has been. And he has the ability and skill set to be better than Harden, I think, in this role. Yeah, I still I mean, he's incredible. the Warriors in the playoffs because yeah. Steph could put Who 50 wants to on face Steph? Oh, yeah, he could win two or three games on his own. Right. On his own. So they're a scary team if they make the postseason. I mean, they could really have some runs. So what's what's interesting too with the NBA is this playing tournament. A lot of people don't really understand how this is going to shake out because the playing tournament, people think that oh, seven's going to play 10 and then eight's going to play nine. Like that's not how it works. Okay. So seven's, seven's going to play eight. The winner of that game immediately wins the seven seed. So they'll advance to the postseason seven and seven versus eight. And then nine's going to play 10. The loser of seven versus eight and the winner of nine versus 10 then play each other for the eight, eight seed. Wow. So the loser of the nine versus 10 game immediately gets eliminated. They play one postseason game. That's it. If you're the um, nine, right now, it'd be the Warriors and the Spurs. And you'd have to win two in a row to make it. And if exactly. you're seven or eight going into it, you have to lose shots. one and then win. Yeah. Got it. So 
that's how it's going to shake out. It's a little bit different than you expected. I think that's a, probably a, the way they format it. It's actually a little bit better. Yeah. Because, I mean, obviously, you're giving a little bit of advantage to the seven and eight seeds. You don't Which want you to should, just straight right? up. If you finish yeah. four spots ahead, seven versus ten, then it's pretty strong. Totally. I'm looking forward to it. I mean, while, you know, it, it's obviously the playing tournament was a cash grab. The NBA trying to revitalize some of the revenue they lost during the pandemic. It's it's still playoff basketball. It's still pl- elimination games that we're going to be seeing. Like one game elimination games. are Those are always fun to watch. We're going to be possibly seeing Steph Curry playing these games. Possibly Zion, fingers crossed. I mean, Zion's my number one player to watch in the NBA right now. Incredible. He's incredible. I haven't seen a guy like that since Shaq, honestly. He looks like, like he has his feet back under him a little bit. He's recovered from the injury. It seems like he's jumping higher he's again amazing. Like back at Duke. He's amazing. It, what he what he has in his bag is unprecedented. I and mean, really it's a combination of like Shaq, Charles Barkley, and like I don't mean LeBron James, really. Like like the guy that the guy he's he's kind of a combination of these different guys that we've seen. We because we've never seen a guy truly as unique as him. He's, a, he's, he's an absolute hybrid, for sure. He's totally I mean, he's he's undersized center, really. But really, the next the next step that Zion is going to have to take to become the MVP is going to be the rebounding. Mm-hmm. He's gonna he's averaging, I think, like seven, seven, almost seven and a half rebounds a game. He needs to get that over ten. Yeah, Charles, and then when he, Charles when he, Barkley loves to talk about, he's like, "Well, I average thirteen rebounds a game. What is he doing? This look at his body, yeah. look at his athleticism. He should be easily double digits." When he makes that jump to double digit rebounds, is when he's going to be the MVP of the league, and he could go on a, a two to three to four year run of MVPs. I think he's he's that good. He's that special. As long as he stays healthy, he's incredible. I don't know how he doesn't get every single missed shot. If if Zion's running to the rim on on after yeah. a shot, he should be slamming everything or jumping and grabbing every single ball. Like I, if if I'm the coach, I'm setting him free. I'm saying, don't worry about getting back on defense. I want you crashing the hoop every single time. And the type of energy it brings when someone like a Zion Williamson gets a putback dunk or a LeBron James gets one off the backboard and slams it home is so invigorating for a team that like I'd be like, you know, Zion, I don't even care if you play defense i just want you releasing and taking off i mean it's just he's just incredible so for sure it should be in double digits totally all right let's talk a little bit mlb baseball we got some we got early season baseball going on right now and it's been an exciting start to the season really the, st- the storyline that everybody's got to be monitoring is the dodgers padres rivalry it's it's back and i mean well it's not it's never really been back because the padres have always been the little brother to the dodgers they basically been, they've been called los angeles south essentially petco park with you know the games in petco being predominantly dodger fans traveling down from los angeles and, and now with the padres being an elite team I, I think honestly i think that the two best teams in major league baseball are the dodgers and padres and then go figure i think the two worst teams are the diamondbacks and rockies so you got the two best teams and the two worst teams i think potentially in the same division you got four teams in that extreme of difference in, in talent level and skill level um, all in the NOS it's crazy uh, but it's it's good for baseball that we're seeing these two teams that are playing this well are this talented are this elite filled with so many faces of, of stardom and, and baseball and going to be t- the Tatises and the Mookie Betts and the Bellingers and the Machados and the Darvishes and the Snells and Kershaws and, and Trevor Bowers like there's so many personalities in this matchup between the Dodgers and the, and the Padres that these teams are going to be you know mad at each other and competing against each other at a very high level for multiple years now and I, I think that it, it, this is what baseball has been craving craving for years now it's good to see mm-hmm. this is another red sox yankees type of rivalry yeah battle of uh southern cal i love it it's been fun i mean really 
I, 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 I was a Padres optimist coming into the season. I, I thought that they, you know, had a chance to be more hungry and, and you know, maybe push the Dodgers at a second place berth. But look, the Dodgers are proving that, you know, they are the best team. And, and I thought they were the best team coming into the year. I just thought, you know, there was going to yeah. be a little bit of regular season pacing, some World Series hangover, some contentness to, you know, take some off the gas and coast through the, the regular season and just, you know, obviously make another big postseason push. Uh, but look, the Dodgers are proving that last year was possibly the they're now in possibly the easiest title defense run that you've ever seen because last year they only played 60 regular season games we forget like the the season was much shorter they had a lot more downtime time to recover like this is this is going to be the year that i think if if any might be the easiest season to repeat as champions for the dodgers Mm -hmm. um just because you know they're they're physically not as overwhelmed, they resign they uh, they signed Bauer. They brought in the best pitcher yeah. in the free agent market during the offseason. Like this team is elite, 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 and they're the kind of team that could multi- could win multiple World Series titles over the course of three to four years. I think. Yeah. So going back to the article you wrote on allthingsanalysis.com, you did an MLB preview. And I think you picked the Padres uh, I did. to finish above I was the optimist. Dodgers. Do you yeah. think that that still holds or would you switch your choice now after seeing the first no, 15 or so games? No, I would probably I would I would definitely switch to I think the Dodgers are going to be the, the winners of that division. I was optimistic for the Padres, but you really the Tatis injury has me worried. He does not look 100 percent healthy while he hit the home run on his first game back. It was really neat to see him, you know, want to play in that Dodgers series. That was his focus all along when he was on the IL he was trying to make the comeback to be in this Dodgers series um he he a shoulder injury can be something that nags you for a long time especially he's a right-handed hitter it's his leading shoulder his left shoulder that affects your power that could sap some of your power it just has me very worried they uh they pitched Denelson Lamette for his season debut last year he was only able to go two innings he has uh, another forearm strain he looks like he might be headed towards an, an inevitable Tommy John surgery which is just heartbreaking i mean now they have Lamette and Clevenger out on Tommy John surgeries which is just you never it's just so brutal when you see such an elite pitcher go down with that. It's like, you just want to see the guy pitch. You just want to see him healthy and it sucks when that happens. And that's a major, major, you know, blow for the, for the Padres. The health, the the Padres don't have, well, they try, they're trying to mimic the type of depth that the Dodgers have created in Los Angeles. They don't quite have it yet. They can't suffer the types of injuries that the Dodgers can. Like Bellinger has been injured for the Dodgers for essentially the full year. He, he had a, a slow couple games to start and then now he's on the IL and, you haven't even noticed it. The God, the Dodgers, you know, play bets in center and they put Muncie at first base and they're completely fine. Mm-hmm. They have, they have replacement players that are above league average and they, they, you know, one guy goes down, the next one picks up the pace and they don't lose anything. And that's not something that the Padres have quite yet been able to replicate. And I just think it, the Dodgers are just too poised, too ready for, you know, a, a, a title defense, I think is in their future and they're, they're going to make the postseason. 100% and whether or not they make a, a postseason run I think is going to come down to health and whether or not other teams are healthy whether or not the Dodgers are healthy it's it's the, there's no team that is better built for the regular season than the Dodgers this year 
Yeah, I mean, when you have the amount of depth they do where you can rotate in and, and replace amazing players with still above average players, you're in a really good position to make a long run. Yeah, I mean, they got guys like freaking Zach McKinstry. You, you, I'm sure you'd never heard of this guy, Zach McKinstry. He, he's, he's been their best hitter, basically, this, this regular season so far. I mean, he's in, I, I think he's still hitting over 300. With, he was lean that he had like two or three home runs early in the year. Like he's, he's, a, he's essentially replacing Kike Hernandez as their super utility guy because Kike went and signed with the Red Sox during the offseason. But the guy was not even expected to possibly – he was possibly expected to start in the minor leagues this year. And he's been one of their best hitters and playing all over the all over the diamond, playing infield, outfield, wherever, you, wherever the Dodgers need him. Just guys like this depict what the Dodgers do all the time. They develop talent. They get the most out of players' abilities. They know how to take pitches. They know how to work counts. Like Mac Mun- Max Muncy is one of my least favorite players to watch because he's so boring. But he's also one of the best players in baseball because he sees the most pitches. He works counts. He gets, he gets tons of walks. I think he's still got over a 400 OBP right now. I mean, he's so boring, but he's so good at the same time. And the Dodgers are riddled with this type of these types of players. Mm-hmm. The really, the Dodgers and the Padres are the are the headline for the MLB season so what do far. You but think other about than, the Athletics on their eleven game win streak currently. Yeah, I was going to mention that. The, yeah, the the A's are on a hot streak. I really, look, I think the A's are always a team that overachieves with their their talent. I I just don't think that they have the lineup that is going to be able to be consistent throughout the year. Like they really lost some key players uh, during the offseason. They, they, they let like Marcus Simeon go. They lost one of their best relievers, Petit. Um, they lost Hendricks, one of the best there. He was a closer. He was the best closer in baseball last year. And so I think there are some shortcomings that will be exposed throughout the course of a season when the depth gets tested mm-hmm. for Oakland. Um, and I really don't like Elvis Andrews coming from Texas. I think he's damaged goods. He's been per- terrible uh, to start the season for Oakland. He's been really bad. Um, but really, they do have some young talent that you can't ignore, like Matt Chapman, Matt Olson. They have some really good players. I mean, Loriano in center field, who's someone who I really, really love to watch play. Um, he, he, the talent with him is like the power and, and speed is in on an elite level with that center field of Loriano. And then mm. he also has a cannon of an arm that he could just unleash anytime right. with an incredible throw so it, the, uh, the A's are a fun team but I just don't think they have the depth to withstand the what what's inevitably coming from the Angels and the, the Astros I think that the Astros had the COVID you know they had the COVID outbreak last week and uh, they really are trying to just tread water until their guys get back and the, the Astros are a very talented team that I still think should be the favorites to win the NL West but the A's are always going to be a team that overachieves and is always going to be there and I I think that it's going to be a fun division. The NL West is wide open for me. I mean, really, the Angels are my my team. Obviously, I'm, I'm so I'm, I'm I can't be unbiased about it, but they're they're so fun to watch this year and so good and they're very good. They're a very good team. The pitching is going to be what's going to be their backbone. Whether or not you know they're able to make the postseason and, and eventually make a postseason run, if possible. But though Tani and Trout and eventually Rendon and Jared Walsh, like their lineup is elite. Very, very good. Like Otani is one is one of the best hitters in baseball at this point. He's he's hitting very, very well. And then when he pitches, he I know he's only he was only been able to go four innings in each of his two outings. But I mean, the guy had six uh, six strikeouts, seven walks, and zero earned runs. The first time anybody has ever done that, thrown four innings, 
uh, given up seven walks, six strikeouts, and given up zero runs. Like that's never happened in Not baseball history. Talk talk about effective effective wildness. Like the guy is you. He's very difficult to hit. And so when he, as he cleans up his delivery, as he becomes a little bit more consistent. A little bit more economical with his pitches. He'll learn. Hopefully, as an Angels fan, you're optimistic for those, you know, trends that start developing. But the talent level with a guy like Otani is something none of us have ever seen, ever. And it's so fun to watch. It's been so fun to watch. And then this is, I mean, I've gone this far talking about the Angels and only only mentioned Mike Trout once. But the guy still, just check, check. Like, it's 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 April 22nd. It's almost 11 a.m. on April 22nd. And Mike Trout's still the best player in baseball. So, that's that's you always going to be the case, batting too. average on hand, Ben? It's, it's high 300s. 393. Like just a touch yeah. under 400. The only guy over 400, Ronald Acuna Jr. right now, who's also just hitting the hitting the leather off of the baseball. So. Yeah, Acuna's, Acuna's awesome, too. I mean, Incredible. Acuna and Soto. Acuna and Soto have that National League in good hands. I mean, Acuna and Juan Soto are two of the best players I've ever seen come out of, you know, young prospects to come into the big leagues with since Trout, really. For me, it's been since Trout that a young player has come and immediately been this excellent, this great. Um, I, I love watching those two plays. Acuna is a, a awe-inspiring display of athleticism. He, he hit a he hit a routine ground ball to D.D. Gregorius against the Phillies a few days ago. I think it was last week. A routine, literally routine ground ball. Hit it hard, right to right to the shortstop. Beat it out. Beat it out to first base. He ran like th- over thirty mile, uh, thirty feet per second. That's insane. Um, elite, like, like he, he. I think he, he topped the fastest speed anybody had been tracked yet this season. Um, and it's just incredible to see the, what these guys do. I mean, Soto is possibly the most professional hitter I've ever seen since Barry Bonds. Um, the guy has a savant level of hitting intelligence the guy sees things that pitchers and hitter hitters can only dream of interpreting the way pitchers attack them the way soto does he is incredible the way he makes adjustments in mid at bat he makes adjustments in the middle of his at bats to he he, he'll be you know oh I'm, i'm pulling off this pitch let me go to left field with it and he drives the ball the opposite way like uh, it's incredible to watch that guy play. I love watching him hit. He's my favorite hitter in the sport. I think pure hitter. I I take Soto as the number one pure hitter wow. in the sport right now. I think the best all around player, um, best all around player is Otani, really most talented player. But I mean, you look at Trout and what he does year in and year out. So he's the most consistent, one of the best hitters I've ever seen. Um, but his 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 level of athleticism is right there with Acuna too. So yeah. it's just the hand. The, the game is in great hands. There's just so many great players, um, and it's it's really interesting when you look at people trying to say baseball is in a bad shape right now and we're honestly looking at a potential labor strike after this season i uh, the cba expires the collective bargaining agreement expires after this season we're possibly looking at a work stoppage after this year it's the game it should be in a much better state than we're looking at it right now i mean we got so many excellent players so many the game's never been younger there's the game's never been younger yeah Yeah. teams are younger than ever like that should be something that invigorates new fans but we're seeing a lot of struggles and honestly it's it's shameful the way that the league office has handled some of the stuff that's been going on it's Um, funny though we're talking about the league getting younger and yet we have a guy like nelson cruz who's only one home (laughs) run 40 he's like 42 years old 43 years old 40 years old and he's he's one home run back from the league league 
like what's going on there that he's just been doing it forever incredible yeah he's a guy that he's never gonna stop hitting he's he's the julio franco of our generation yeah, that guy's incredible hitter yeah the red sox too have been on an incredible tear they lost their first three games and then they went they went on to win nine in a row i think and mm-hmm. then they they're they're leading the nl uh, al east right now and the team that people thought was going to be the presumptive al east winners the new york yankees have been co- completely collapsing and it's only mid-april like yeah. the yankees have no pitching and the red sox are the hottest team in baseball or one of the hottest teams in baseball yeah. jd martinez has been on an absolute tear he had three home runs the last week in one game yep. um He's leading the league in RBIs right now with 20. Yeah. The Red Sox are a very fun team. And while I question whether or not the pitching is going to be able to keep them afloat throughout the season, uh, I'm not optimistic about their pitching cha- their pitching talent. Uh, but they do have a very young competitive lineup. I mean, I mean Bo- a lot of the, Bogarts is hitting awesome too. He's awesome. He's awesome. He's top three I love Devers too. Devers is awesome too. Um, there's just really a lot of young great players on the Red Sox and there's uh, going to be some young players for the Sox that uh, I'm, I'm going to be on the lookout for potentially collecting their cards, their rookie cards for. Mm-hmm. I mean, guys like Bobby Dahlbeck, there's there's some good players uh, for the Red Sox this year and I think that um, in the collectibles market, I think they could be capitalized because the Red Sox are a team that is a popular public perception team. Mm-hmm. Where a lot in, in the hobby market, like they're a team that their cards are going to be more desirable just because of the Red Sox and they're out of Boston. They're a big, a big market team. So, Something to keep an eye on there, too. Oh, one guy. So before we wrap up the MLB, too, I can't I can't wrap it up without mentioning what your mean Mark Mercedes Mercedes has been able to do for the Chicago White Sox. He went. He, did you see he started his season eight for eight? He started his career and his season for the first time ever going eight for eight. Nobody had ever started a season, let alone a career that way. So incredible what that guy was able to do. And he even pitched the other night. He pitched for the Chicago White Sox as a position, position player. See, he, he, he's, he didn't pitch that well. But, I mean, he was a position player posi- pitching. But yeah, the guy has been incredible. He's just below Mike Trout in terms of batting average. He's going 390 right now. Yeah. He killed the Angels in their opening series. He, he, he was unbelievable. He, the Angels couldn't stop him. And uh, he's really helping the White Sox get over the loss of the early season loss of Eloy Jimenez. He tore his pectoral muscle in spring training at the end of it. And they had the – your main Mercedes was kind of thrust into an everyday role as the, as the DH for the White Sox, really taking up the mantle for that position really well. Okay. One topic that has been really grinding my gears for baseball, though, this year, it's just it drives me crazy. And really, it's it's an overall sports issue at this point. We're seeing a lot of it in the NBA, too, is the just I, I, I hate to sound like an old an old grandpa here complaining about, you know, the state of things. But sports officiating is it seems like hitting an all time low across sports in general. Like it's it's been horrendous what we've been seeing out of some of these umpires and NBA referees. Like it's just it's disgraceful the way that uh, umpires and referees are ejecting players and coaches just like at the drop of a hat with the rabbit ears and and just being super sensitive about what's been going on. Like the NBA ca- calling technical fouls for a player pumping his chest and pounding it like you can't show any emotion the mlb um the league office suspending nick castellanos for two games after he pumped his chest sliding into home when the pitcher drilled him earlier in the inning and then beat him in the back on the on the slide at home like that was a terrible terrible way to officiate that and i know that's kind of coming from coming down from the league office but really it's all one piece of the puzzle where these the officiating of sports sporting contents sporting contests it's just getting 
really, really poor. I think and, we saw it in the women's national basketball tournament too, multiple times, you know, where there yeah. were just plays at, at the end of the game where the, I, I forget what team was it, Baylor, the, the girl drove to the hoop on a last second shot was hammered by two UConn players. And then the next game, there was a, a UConn foul called that they actually reviewed, showed that the, the the lady, the woman only touched the ball with her hand and they still called the foul on her and ejected her from the game. And it's just like, how how is this being allowed? How is this not being monitored, being reviewed? And how are refs not being more accurate, especially with all the tools that they have nowadays? I, it, it, yeah. There's something weird going on. I don't know, Ben. Well, really, ultimately, I think that the reason why we have to talk about it on the podcast and why it's it's starting to get more talked about in the public opinion and, and public forums um, is because fans of uh, and spectators of the sport sports we watch are getting frustrated with the lack of transparency of of reasoning why calls are made the way they're made. Like mm-hmm. we spend in a baseball game they'll spend sometimes upwards of like 10 minutes on a, on a call it's supposed to take remind you only two minutes they're supposed to call it after two minutes but that doesn't stop them from you know delaying the game for up to 10 minutes at times like these reviews are taking forever and then they just get the call and they get no explanation for what happened and what they saw like what all there needs to do is be more transparency in the way that these calls are reviewed the way they're seen by the officiants and and why they make the calls they do like we need to understand this because it's it's creating some frustration in sports fans i think because the fact that a call is made and, and it, replay isn't helping some of this like in baseball we've seen some replays we saw the play where um at the end of the game the the Mets were facing the Mar- the Marlins and the Marlins closer had the bases loaded. Michael Conforto was up in, in a regular season game. Oh Conforto yeah, the elbow. Oh. Leaned his he leaned his elbow over the strike zone. Over gets the nicked. Gets nicked on a strike a high in and strike. Gets nicked in the elbow and the Mets won the game and they can't review it. But it's all over. It's re, it's all over the news. It's all over the the even the Mets announcers like were like just they were discounting the win yeah, right away. They were they couldn't believe that they 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 the umpires didn't call this and it, this there's just so much lack of transparency. In the Angels game, there was a slide against the Blue Jays where the guy uh, clearly went out of the baseline to slide and try to take out the second base guy uh, Fletcher to try to. Uh, disrupt his throw and he did and he did and it cost the angels really uh, so much momentum they ended up giving up like seven runs in the inning and it was a big play and uh, they reviewed it they actually went to review and they could not get it right and there's just we need some transparency as to why even replays are failing us why aren't replays being as spectators we're able to see is there other angles that we're not seeing? Are there, you know, cameras that were that we're not exposed to? Like, what's going on? Why are these calls being made the, the way they are? Because there are so many examples of just the 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 actual in-person umpires and referees and officials failing to do their jobs correctly, and then the replay officials also failing to do their jobs correctly. There's just too much of this going on, and in a modern era of sports, like this is a potential, you know, threat to sports success like if baseball wants to be a team uh, a young a young man sport if they want more fans if they want newer fans but renewing like just the uh, process for umpiring and making it better like they, they could be one of the first sports to make it better make it more transparent or make more plays reviewable or make it a quicker replay right or maybe even 
a shameless plug on my old, my former article a few months ago, maybe even some robot umpires or uh, an aspect of a, a hybrid efficient, or maybe like some of it's robots, some of it's a real umpire. There are different ways that these things can be integrated into the modern era of sports. Right. And it, it would just be nice that to improve this because really sports officiating has just been really grinding my gears over the last few months. It's just been really, really bad. As long as there's a human element, there are going to be human mistakes in the game, despite having all these tools at our disposal because and, and people that's have always an aspect of it. Yeah. I, I don't hate the human element, quote unquote. Like ideally the human element makes the game a little bit better. We but, just need to figure out a better way to integrate the human element with the technology we have because there's definitely a lag when we do these reviews that people don't like. I think we need to automate some of it. When we think about tennis and they automate the review and they show the exact shot of the ball, whether it hits the line or not, we can do this in baseball because the baseball field can be completely mapped out and the rules are set in such a way that everything is very well defined. It'd be much harder to yeah. do in something like football where, I mean, holy crap, I don't even know the rules of football because they're so hard to interpret sometimes. But yeah. in baseball, it's something it's that we can define almost. and we can automate for sure. And I think we should at least some parts of it yeah for me i have a hard time imagining how the uh the strike zone should be automated in baseball because i think that a lot of pitchers you know make their living by painting the corners and kind of expanding the strike zone same thing with catchers Being able too. To, yeah like if a pitcher is able to exp- expand the zone by working the corners and making an umpire you know call pitches you know an inch or two off the plate like that's an aspect of the sport and if you work hard as a pitcher and a catcher to frame it like that that in my opinion that 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 is a skill differentiator for baseball and so there are i I would not i would discourage taking that away from the game but i would also figure that there's a better way to do this there needs to be more transparency there needs to be more willingness to you know support these types of efforts to improve umpiring and officiating i think that in general like police you know how people are trying to reform the police reforming efficiency is a similar you know effort in terms of maybe maybe less significant to our society's benefit but you know similar similar trend 100 percent. and i would never by no means try to compare the two you know apples to apples but it is it is a, a similar you know pandemic or epidemic where umpires are just really struggling to get these calls right and i think that in general we could do better mm-hmm. all right connor any last thoughts um, just to make sure that you subscribe to our platforms and the website if you want to be entered to win some awesome free stuff. And uh, thank you guys for <laughs> tuning in to everything that All Things Analysis has to offer. And thank you for having me on the show, Ben. Of course, buddy. All right, everybody. Remember, Connor, I'll, I'll reiterate, subscribe, rate, review, Vicious Talk with Benny P on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, wherever you're getting your listening, for, your listening done. Uh, please support the podcast. We really appreciate it. Also, Connor was mentioning, subscribe, uh, follow All Things Analysis on Instagram and subscribe to our website to enter our free, our free giveaway, the NBA Don Russ Box Break on May 8th. We'll be announcing the, uh, the winners for that and doing our box break then. Uh, also, be on the lookout for our Fantasy Wrap Draft Podcast article update follow-up coming up soon. We're working on, uh, you know, getting a, a follow for anybody to listen to that Rap Fantasy Draft Podcast. That was a lot of fun. I would definitely recommend it. But we also have an article coming out soon to kind of, you know, flesh out some of the details we weren't able to, you know, get yeah. get onto the podcast. That was a lot of fun, though. Point out some of the, the music that we really like this, from these artists. We're going to have some YouTube videos embedded in the article. And we're going to go over some of the snubs from the different categories, too. Very cool. All right, Connor, thanks so much again for joining me on the Vicious Talk with Benny P. Remember to ask yourself at the end of the day, are you vicious?